the miller. Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. I'm just going to read a few verses, but there's one key verse that I'm just going to point out. Verse 7 says, You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Verse 9 says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. We're going to continue and hopefully wrap up today uh, our subject here, Conquering Bitterness. And we had kind of delved into it last week a little bit, talking about or defining bitterness and talking a little bit about causes of bitterness. And we're going to kind of dig in a little bit more talked about watching your environment because your environment can be a contributing factor to you becoming bitter so watch who you hang around it's kind of hard to gossip when you don't have anybody to gossip with on the same token if you don't allow yourself to engage with someone else, you won't ever get caught up in the gossip pool. But all this stuff comes from somewhere else. There's always a stimulation. That's one of the things I like about science because when you look at science, it always talks about how one thing impacts the other. Bitterness doesn't seem like a bad thing. If you remember the visual aid we had last week, I showed you the fruits. We talked about over time how something can start off really small and then grow very big, right? Become a big deal. We have, there's a saying I know somewhere in the military, somewhere along the time, somebody coined the statement that it's the small things that get people killed. Here's the dangers. There's some dangerous things about bitterness. And there's just, I mean, you can, again, I could give you an extensive list. and We could try to capture everything. But the reality is I'm not going to be able to give you every detail. I won't have the time or the intellect to do that. 
But just pointing out some things that stand out to me when we talk about bitterness. First thing, because we already talked about some of this other stuff, unforgiveness. Which is simply defined not willing to forgive other people. In many cases, people who are not willing to forgive would rather see the offender receive punishment for the offense. What do most people say when somebody does something in our society? Right? They do something wrong. They want to see him go to jail. And some people want to put him under the jail. We call this justice. However... We are not as quick to consider the offenses we commit, much less the just restitution that we deserve. This was one of the problems with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They wanted to hold everyone else accountable to the law. But they themselves were not willing to live up to that. Y'all remember the story with the woman that they caught in adultery? Brought her before Jesus. And they were testing Jesus, but this was their attitude. They were ready to stone her. They just wanted Jesus to take the first, to throw the first stone. This wasn't nothing, it wasn't anything new for them. Because it was part of the law. But notice what Jesus said. He that is. I know some would say without the same sin. Okay. But he that is without sin. So whether it was the same sin or whether it was sin period. He that is without sin. I'm telling you take the initiative and you go ahead and. Out of that whole group, there was only one that really had the right to cast that stone. Everybody else, they had to leave. Isn't it interesting? Most people who will not forgive will not take a moment and consider themselves where they really stand. Forgiveness is one of those things that is required. We know scripturally is required. Okay? But if you're not willing to forgive, then guess what? It's easy to become bitter. Right? I don't want to pardon you. I don't want to let it go. Well, this is this is where bitterness comes from. You know, I find that a lot of times, again, you see people they you know they leave church, whatever the case may be. Okay, but it starts off with something small. Usually it starts off with a disagreement. It's, it's really simple. It really ties in with preference. 
some folks will leave church because of a preference. I don't like the time that you hold service, so I'm not coming to church. And that's your prerogative. But at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's for you, but it's not about you. Amen? Church is not about our conveniences. It's about worshiping God. How do we ever make this about us? Before we came into the church, church was there. So when God comes and changes our life and we become a part of the church, how do we turn that around and make us the primary focus? But it starts off with little small things like that. And like I told you last week, before you know it, this thing becomes a whole mountain of just a hodgepodge of different simple things. And really, at the end of the day, I just needed enough to make me feel justified for doing what I wanted to do in the first place, which was lead the church. I didn't want to be here in the first place. I just needed somebody to put the blame on instead of looking at me and my condition. Y'all all right? It's the truth. Anger is one of those things. Bitterness, it will cause anger. Hold on to it long enough and see what happens. Oh, I'll never do that. You never envisioned having that knife in your hand and stabbing your brother and sister in the back, did you? When God first filled you with the Holy Ghost, you didn't envision that. You loved everybody. You embraced everybody. Man, you wanted to go out there and tell the whole world about the goodness of God. What happened? Now, all of a sudden, I'm angry with you. Why? What caused me to be angry? A few weeks ago, we talked about conquering anger. That's a giant in and of itself. You know, the scripture tells us that we are allowed to be angry. But it tells us sin not. Well, why does it put that in there? Because if you let that fester long enough, eventually what's going to happen is you're going to say or do something out of anger. And I guarantee you it's not going to glorify God. So now you take away from your testimony. Remember now, when God changes your life, you become a witness, a living testimony for him. That's why it's so important to watch what we do, because everything that we do that takes away from God, we take away from our witness. This is why we preach and teach and encourage one another every week. Folks say, why go to church? Because all the other environments I go to throughout the week, I probably need a place to go to that's going to give me a little refuge and reviving. Amen. Gather around the people that don't mind praising God. You know, we actually doing it together in one place. That's an awesome thing. We need that. 
We keep talking about atmospheres and climates and environments. We need an environment that's conducive to the work of God. We don't have to come up in here with swords ready to fight. We coming in here to glorify God. We know, hey, my brothers and sisters, we link arms and we ready to glorify God together. So one place we should feel like we can put our, our weapons down and just be again to glorify God. Amen. In the military, in the chapel, hey, you don't come up in there with your M16. They got a little slot for you to put that thing right at, and you come in and you worship God. Make sure you grab it on the way out. But there's no reason why we should be angry with one another. And at the end of the day, remember what I told you? It's really no reason to be angry with the world. Think about it. We get angry because we get disappointed. Well, why are you disappointed with the world? What did you expect? Them not to be the world? Right? So if you know that's what, that's what you're going to expect, them to be the world. I expect them to treat me wrong. The Bible already told me they was going to do it. They going to treat you bad like they treated me bad. That's what Jesus said. I'm paraphrasing. He said they didn't like me. So what makes you think if you follow me, they're going to like you? Now, when they come out of the world, that's when things begin to change. Amen? So sometimes we just got to put that anger aside. You know, it's funny. I was Me and my wife, <laughs> I sat here yesterday, and um, I took a little bit more time than I wanted to after prayer, and I was trying to do something that I knew I, I had to do. And... uh I'm on the way back, and I get a call, and she says, where's you at? I had, I had plans and so on and so forth, and I threw her schedule off. And I told her, I said, calm down. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Now, I could have responded a different way and said, no, no, no. We're not, we're not about to have this. I did what I needed to do, and that's, that's it. So you don't have to accept that. Argument starts, and nothing gets resolved. Now we all at odds, and then what happens with the kids? I get home, she goes shopping, and I even text her after she left. I say, I love you. Now listen, I told her, I said, this was something that for me, and it wasn't something that I felt like I was obligated to do. But because of what was in me. And I told her, I said, you know, I love it. Even a situation like that, even for us, the, the Brother Miller back in the day wasn't a Brother Miller. So it would have been a different response. <laughs> but I'm glad for it. You know, it's an awesome thing. I love it. And that's why, that's why I'm so passionate about this. When I talk about it at work, you know, it's the same thing. I tell the people, I say, y'all don't understand. I live this thing because I know it's real. I love it. There's not one person on this earth that can get me to decide to leave this thing when I know what God has done for me. Oh, he's brought me too far. So I don't live this thing to please people. I live this thing to please God. But I know what he's capable of doing because of what he's done in my life. See, I can't tell your testimony, but I can tell mine. And he can turn anger into something beautiful if you let him work the situation. 
Man, we can go on and on for that one. Resentment is defined as a feeling of anger. There we go again. Or displeasure about someone or something unfair. I believe one of the problems with resentment is the view that everything in life is fair. Whoever said everything in life would be fair? It's just not so. Perhaps most of us have a skewed perspective on how life should really be. If everything was about being fair, then we should not exist. Think about it. Because what's fair means if it says we're supposed to do something and we don't do it and this is the consequence, then fairly we should all be wiped out. None of us have the right to live. Now, I know that's hard, but that's the truth. That is the truth. Now, how do we hold the world accountable and we don't hold ourselves accountable? Charity begins at home, and in this case, charity begins in the house of God. Right? So if it was about being fair, then we should receive the punishment that we really deserve. Why do we continue to enjoy the benefit of having life? It's not about everything being fair. It's about being just. However, the virtue that keeps us from paying the penalties that we deserve is grace. God's grace and his mercy is what affords us the opportunity to experience a second, third, fourth, and more chances than we deserve. I love it. God's grace and his mercy is what keeps us here. I always envision when I think about grace and mercy, I envision a courtroom. And the accuser is the enemy. So he's pointing out all the wrong things that we've done, everything that we've come short of. He's constantly before the righteous judge accusing us, basically saying, now you kicked me out of heaven, so you need to get rid of them too. This is what I envision. But, you know, we have an attorney. And grace is right there. Oh, we couldn't afford grace. But grace said, I volunteer. And he pleads our case and says, you know what? True, these things were done. But don't forget the blood that was shed already to pay the price. I think you should give him another chance. And we continue to live and we continue to exist because grace is constantly interceding on our behalf. God's grace. Isn't that awesome? I think that's phenomenal. Because every morning I wake up, I'm like, I don't even deserve this next breath right here. But thank you, God, for giving me another moment. Life is so fragile, as we know it. Here today, gone tomorrow. And you don't know when your time is coming. We got young and old. Just the past, what, six months. 
the past year, really, the events that have occurred that have taken young lives and old as well. You don't know when it's your time to go. But the good news is we're still here because God has given us another opportunity. My daughter asked me a question this morning as we were on the way to church. And she says, what's the worst way to die? I don't know what she, well, I didn't know at the time what she had in mind. But what came to my mind was not being ready to go. Most people will fight to live this life when it's time for them to go because they know they're not ready to go. That's the moment that reality, that's probably the the greatest moment of reality that a person will experience is to know that this is it. It doesn't matter how much technology we have in place. It doesn't matter how many prayers are being prayed. At this very point, it's your time to go, and you are facing the reality that this is the end of life as you know it. And so the danger or the the concern with that is whatever state you die, that becomes your eternal state. Think about that. God is not in the business of resenting us. He is in the business of redeeming us. If the most righteous being of all who has every right to wipe us all out can extend compassion on our wretched souls, then as his children, we ought to do the same. Compassion. It's hard to be compassionate and resentful at the same time. Disunity. Oh, let's talk about this disunity thing for a minute. Hopefully I'm going to have enough time. Let me see if I can get this right. It's a phrase. And if somebody knows it and I messed it up, let me know. The phrase is called divide et impart. Uh, See, I didn't impera, excuse me, impeta. Divide et impeta. Has anybody, anybody ever heard of that before? Besides my wife. <laughs> this is what Julius Caesar said. He talked about dividing Rome, the destruction of Rome. It means divide and conquer. Now it said, and I'll read this because this is, uh, I thought this was interesting. I have to cite it since it's being recorded, but it's on uh, the website classroom.synonym.com, whatever that is. Uh, I'm just going to read this one part here. Some 1,200 years before Caesar's birth, the Assyrian nation conquered and divided the nation of Babylon under the leadership of Tukulti Ninurta. They they subsequently used the same procedure of conquest and annexation in building an empire as they subjugated Syria, 
Palestine, or Palestine, Armenia, and Mesopotamia. Their last great conquest was the division of the 12 tribes of Israel, an event lamented throughout the Old Testament. Ironically, the Jews were conquered and divided yet again by Babylon, another occasion for biblical lament as their temple was raised and the Jews exiled, Jews exiled throughout Babylonia. So this is a this was like one of the oldest strategies. Figured out that you can have the most powerful group. But all you have to do is cause conflict from within the group. And you can destroy the whole group. I thought this was interesting, too. Now, I'm not a, you know, uh, activist or nothing like that, okay? I'm not part of the NAACP, okay? But I just wanted to read this because I thought this part was interesting as well. Talking about slaves and slaveholders. says, slaves in the antebellum south constituted about one-third of the southern population. Let me make sure I cite what this is, history.com. And this is under slavery in America. Some halfway down the page, you see the subtitle, Slaves and Slaveholders. Slaves in the antebellum south constituted about one-third of the southern population. Most slaves lived on large farms or small plantations. Many masters owned less than 50 slaves. Slave owners sought to make their slaves completely dependent on them, and a system of restrictive codes governed life among slaves. They were prohibited from learning to read and write, and their behavior and movement was restricted. Many masters took sexual liberties with slave women and rewarded obedient slave behavior with favors, while rebellious slaves were brutally punished. A strict hierarchy among slaves, from privileged house slaves and skilled artisans down to lowly field hands, helped keep them in de- keep them divided and less likely to organize against their masters. Slave marriages had no legal basis, but slaves did marry and raise large families. Most slave owners encouraged this practice, but nonetheless did not hesitate to divide slave families by sale or removal. And again, this is another strategy used to keep control. I can get control of the group if I can get you to be divided amongst yourself. Why did I read all of that? Because it's the same strategy that the enemy has been using throughout time to divide the body of Christ. He did it amongst the Jews. They were divided about the law. Jesus comes along and establishes the church. And not too long after that, you start to see the enemy trying to infiltrate in the church body to get them to be divided. Conflict. Here we are today, thousands of years later, and we're still dealing with the same old strategy that the enemy has been using. Get them to turn on one another. Because that's the way you're going to tear them down. That's the way you're going to take away their effectiveness as children of God is to get them to be against one another. And you know this is the, this is the tragedy. When the world sees the disunity in the body of Christ, 
we lose our testimony. We become less effective. Some of us, we have associates, people that we associate with outside of the church, but please don't ever get to the point where you are talking about your brothers and sisters to people who are not even in church. Because they are listening. And if you think for a second that you can just turn it around and it's time to witness and talk to them about the things of God and they're going to listen to you, they're not going to listen to a word you say. They're going to call you a hypocrite. But the enemy knows that. That's why he keeps sowing little seeds. Somebody stepped on my church shoes. I'm upset. Girl, you know I was at church on Sunday. You know, sister so-and-so had to, you probably won't call a sister so-and-so to your friend. Maybe you will. Had the nerve to step on my church shoes. Girl, I was so upset, I just wanted to slap her back. Okay, keep talking. Six months later, let me sit down and talk with you about the goodness of God. Wait, before you do that. Six months ago, you was just talking about slapping your You want me to listen to you? And don't think they won't do it because they will. They will remind you. So we got to be careful. Disunity is one of those things. It, it just takes a little bit, a little leaven. Anybody chop wood before? I know there's some folks in here chop wood. If you can get the right, you can get that axe to split in the right way, you can split that whole log in one swing. Just find that vulnerable place, and you got it. And that's what the enemy is looking for in the body of Christ. But I'm so glad that we got folks that sold out, that's vigilant, that's watchful, keeping your armor on. Making sure there's no vulnerable moments. Everybody in position, amen? Hopefully we are. To keep from being disunified. Ways to overcome bitterness. It's real easy. Let's go to, we're going to go to some scriptures. We're going to try to get some of this said and done. Uh, We start our next series, hopefully next week, talking about putting life back into perspective. I'm excited about the things that God is that that God has been revealing to me, and I'm hoping that it will bless souls and continue to bless people in in your life. So, hopefully, we can wrap this up today. Luke chapter six, verse What does Jesus say? Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. The only reason why I'm repeating it is because I want to make sure people that's listening, they they can hear it as well. So if you pray for folks that do good to you, that's expected. 
But those folks that's talking about you, those people, you know those people that rub you the wrong way, like they just really make you boil. You see that individual and you like, Lord Jesus. Let your spirit rise in me, because. Right? Pray for them which despitefully use you. People that intentionally doing things to get you upset. Again, I say, you know, it, it's, I, I thank God for it, but just helping me to realize that the folk, the, the, the things that people are doing, they don't even understand why they're doing it. It's the enemy behind. Y'all ever seen the Wizard of Oz? Y'all remember the wizard behind the curtain? The only thing that Dorothy and the rest of them could see was the big old face and the flame and everything else. Until little Toto went and moved the curtain and revealed it was some little dwarf. He wasn't that short, but little short guy with a machine just... Making all kinds of noise. Ain't that like the devil? Make all this noise. Got everybody petrified. Ready to run. Do you realize that little runt? He will use whoever he can influence to get to you. But the reason why he's so jealous is because of what you're benefiting from having a relationship with God. He don't have that. But look at what he had when it started. That's your problem, devil, but you ain't going to steal my joy. You're not going to steal my peace. You gave that up. Don't expect me to do the same. Pray for them which despitefully. You know, Jesus says this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Prayer is important. You know, if you ever, if you stay in a state where you're praying, I got one minute left. Praying. If you stay in a state where you're praying, you're going to think less on the thing, the other things that people are doing wrong. In fact, what happens is, and I, and I look at this too, I think about this a lot. If God allows me to see the wrong in other people, Perhaps it's because he wants me to intercede on their behalf. I'm still a tool. And if we if we really responded that way, we'd probably see a whole lot of things go differently. In our communities, in our environments, we start to see things change on our job. My boss is trying to do stuff to, you know, get me upset, and he's doing wrong, and I know he's doing wrong. He's trying to do me wrong. But when I start praying for him, God bless him, touch him, you know, save him. Bring... You know what that does to the enemy? Ooh, that gets him heated. Like, what? The only reason why the enemy coming after you is because he knows there's something valuable about you. That means you're doing something right if the enemy's coming after you. He don't have to come after you if you've already got you. All right, next thing. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. We talked about this. Matthew chapter 6. I'm just going to throw these scriptures out there. I'm just going to do this and y'all can go back and refer to it. 
so I can wrap this up. Matthew chapter 6, verses 12, and then verses 14 through 15. If you can write that down, we're not going to go to it, but pretty much Jesus talks about the importance of forgiveness. And if we don't forgive others, we can't expect God to forgive us. Okay? Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, and verses 14 through 15. Psalms uh, chapter 16, verse 11. Psalm 30 and 5 talks about joy. That will show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. Okay, that's what David says. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Listen, if you stay in the presence of God, you find yourself getting less likely getting bitter. Okay, I messed that sentence up, but. If you find yourself in the presence of God, stay in the presence of God, you're less likely to become bitter. I'm just going to leave it at that. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 through 5. That's the other scripture. Talks about peace. I love this scripture. And this is very, I mean, this is quoted so often. But that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee remember what i told y'all last week i don't put confidence or trust in man the scripture tells me not to but i put my trust and confidence in god so no matter what man does it doesn't shake my confidence it doesn't shake my trust because it's in the lord amen for he bringeth them that dwell on high he bringeth down them that dwell on high the lofty city he layeth it low he layeth it low even to the ground he bringeth it even to the dust The foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. And it goes on and on. The last thing is. Go back to my notes here. Patience. Sometimes if we take the time to think about what's going on and consider how to approach it the right way we'll find that we alleviate ourselves of the burden of bitterness and we remove the potential for conflict if i'm not acting on an impulse and i just am willing to slow down and consider what's really going on and what's the best way to try to resolve this We can get, especially in the body of Christ, we can alleviate a whole lot of issues between one another. Amen? Listen, if you don't like me because of my personality, at least I know where we stand. We're going to talk about personality conflicts. But sometimes that's what we deal with. But you don't have to like, our preferences don't have to be the same. But one thing that has to be the same is being unified in the spirit. That is what the scripture talks about when it talks about unity of the church. It's unified in the spirit. Not all of us are going to be unified in this flesh. But if we're unified in the spirit, we're able to overcome. And this is the conclusion for conquering your giants. I really hope and pray that this has blessed y'all and given you some ammunition so that we can continue to conquer the giants and be effective in the things of God. Amen. God bless you.
Let's take our break and be ready for the dynamic service today in Jesus' name.